Hello and welcome to Publish Me, a monthly podcast series from the AS21 Podcast Network, exploring the publishing process of the fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. I'm your host, Keith F. Shovlin, publisher and chief creative of AS21, and joining me as always is... Hello everyone, this is Paul Dickinson Russell, the author of The Will of the Magi. I hope everyone is doing well, and I'm wishing everyone a very excellent good luck tomorrow when you hear this, because... Day after you hear this will be election day, so good luck to all of you. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I was fortunate; I was able because of my work schedule. I was able to qualify for absentee voting, so I voted on Friday, and I'm done. I'm covered. Did my part, Paul. I guess. Do you have early voting in New Jersey? I don't get to, but I took the day off, so oh. my polling station opens around like six a.m. Oh, good. Or something good. like that. So I will be there around four thirty to get ahead of the crazies. Mm-hmm. So I can hide afterwards. Yes. Yeah, most polling places open around 6 a.m. I know in Virginia, they're from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. So for those listening to this on the day it's released or of a day after it's released, get out and vote. Do your civic duty. Get out and vote. Yep. Yeah, earn your right to criticize. <laughs> okay, so first of all, so we're, this is Chapter 20 of the Publish Me Podcast, where we'll be discussing... Navigating the publishing industry will be joined by author Thomas P. Atheridge, who is the newest AS21 creative. We just announced, <laughs> yes, two weeks ago that we signed Tom with his wonderful scholarly nonfiction review, American Presidents at War. So we'll have Tom on in a few minutes to talk about that and talk about his experiences going through the publishing process. But first, we got to get through some basic stuff. All right, you can always reach out to us. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash publish podcast. Tweet to us at Publish Podcast. We're on Google Play. We're on various other sites, or you can find our home on the web, media.as21.com, and you can email us, publishpodcast at as21.com, A-O-I-S-21.com. And of course, if you like this podcast, hopefully you're listening on either Podomatic, or we also are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and of course our website, media.as21.com. And when I get around to it, I also end up putting these things on YouTube, which I've been pretty slow to do the past few months. It just takes a little bit more time than I'm able to put into it, because we're usually pretty jammed up with other podcasts at the same time. So Always the truth, always the truth. Yeah, in fact, today, not only do we have, when you're listening to this, Publish Me coming out because it's the 7th, but also it's a Monday, which means literally this week is out. And it's and every other Wednesday, every other week, so this is also a week that Sex, Vex, Perplex comes out for Eileen Vega's podcast on sexuality. So we have just those three podcasts coming out already for the beginning of the week. And if you are on the Ace 21 weekly email, you'll find out that we will have another podcast series debuting this coming Saturday. So get on the email list and you'll get to hear that news first. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait an extra five minutes to hear it on the rest of our AS21 channels and news page. But we have a new podcast coming your way starting this coming Saturday and a week out on the second Saturday of every month. So be on the lookout for that information. Now... When we last checked in with you lovely people at the beginning of October, we had some wonderful, fantastic, splendiferous news in that Paul has completed the writing of The Will of the Magi. 
Yes, I did. Yes. I did these things. So now, Paul, it's been a month. Is the book still finished? The book is still finished. Yes. <laughs> Some words are no longer in the book. Okay. So yeah, I am... Tell us what you've been... Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting, I've, but yeah, what have you been up to this past month? I've been editing. Okay. And I've been doing a lot of editing. I've been uh, basically making sure I have all my facts right, making sure I have everyone doing things that they should be doing. I have about six, seven more chapters to go to edit, uh, at which point I should be able to finish that up by the end of this week. Maybe early next week. Luckily for me, uh, my employment, because I'm seasonally employed, wraps up basically this month. So for half of this month, I'm not really working, which you know gives me more than enough time to get everything done with the book in terms of this editing, which is absolutely wonderful. So hopefully, end of this week, beginning of next week, I will be emailing it out to uh, all the wonderful people I have editing. I have a list of... Oh, God. I think like 20 to 25 people. This is, this this is beta reading, not editing specifically, right? Yeah, this is yeah, this is mostly just beta reading. Or I, I should say alpha reading at this point. Well, no, no, you're the alpha. So this well, is beta. I am the alpha and the omega, but, you know, that's exactly. a whole <laughs> um, Yeah, so yeah, yeah, beta reading. Corey will be receiving the book and his time to edit it. Um, I actually will have... I have a couple friends who are in uh, various aspects of the publishing world as well who have agreed to help me do some editing as well, which is nice. Mm -hmm. I have a couple relatives, family members who are not experts in these kind of things, but they put me to shame when it comes to going through minor detail work who have agreed to help me out. So that's always nice. So I'm going to say by the next podcast... We will have a lot of stuff accomplished and a lot of people giving me good input and bad input. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Now, there was another assignment I had given you off podcast and just well, you don't have to say, I mean, I can always edit this out if you don't haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I have sent you a couple, the portfolios, a couple of our designers. Have you had a chance to look over those? I have gone through those portfolios. I do. I've gone through them quite extensively. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think I have a good choice. If we want to announce that here or not, uh, let's actually announce it by getting the person on the show. How about that? Sounds good. I like okay. that. Okay. So yeah, you could tell me that off off podcast, off air, and we'll gr- grease the wheels to make that happen from there. Sounds good. All right. So everyone who's listening, I've chosen my artist, but you don't get to find out yet. Ha ha. The designer is chosen, but you must wait. Sucks for them. No, no. We like to build a modicum of, su- of suspense with this. And the good kind of suspense, not the I'll see if I'll accept the election results suspense. <laughs> now, of course, if you have been a frequent listener to this podcast, you know that last month I talked about us moving forward with a crowdfunding campaign. And we actually released a supplemental episode uh, two weeks ago with the details of that crowdfunding campaign. And it is officially launching... Well, I'm planning on launching it today, the day this comes out, but it might be slightly delayed because one, the election, two, several other podcasts going out. So we might be have a slight delay on it, but the goal is that it will be 
it will go until January 7th because it can only go up to 60 days. So basically the way we'll make the timing work, we'll make it work so that it goes through our December podcast and ends on the day of our January episode. So we announced that it will be working with Indiegogo. We're trying to raise $1,600. That will cover all the editing costs and it will cover the cost of our designer to do the cover art for Paul. And then any money left over, will, which we're hoping will still be about a third of that, will go towards helping doing the first print runs. Because we're going to be working with a print-on-demand service at Lulu to do a paperback and a hardcover copy. And those are all, some of the first runs will go out to those people who have donated a campaign, the perks. And others will be available to go into bookstores near you, hopefully. So, we'll be launching that campaign, if not today, then very, very soon. I'm hoping to have it launched by Tuesday at the absolute latest. Who knows, if election results go late, that may be what I'm finishing up before uh, we uh, go to bed Tuesday night. Yeah. So, yeah, that will be launching very, very soon. $1,600. Give early, give often. Tell your friends. And now you may be asking, Paul's got a publisher. Why isn't the publisher covering these costs? Like most traditional publishers will do that. They'll cover the editing costs. They will cover the cost of a cover design because they have all these people on staff. Yes, we do have these people on staff, but we are an independent publisher and our entire staff is our part-timers. So there are people that have donated their time. They are people that have donated their efforts. So, and because of the deals we have set up with our authors, most of the money that comes into our company goes right back out again in the form of royalties on books sold in the form of any money we need to put out for events, for advertising, for marketing. So really, most of the money that comes in goes right back out again almost immediately. So really, when it comes down to it, we, unfortunately, for, I mean, Paul is not someone of great means that he can afford the the 1600 that it'll most likely cost to get this up and running. As he said, he is a seasonal worker currently at home. So... We are trying to make it as easy as possible because we believe in Paul's story. We believe that just because he does not personally have the means and we can't donate the means to him fully, that would be a lot to ask of my staff to be able to donate, to waive their fees to make this happen. Uh, We are going to do what we can to make Paul a success and get his book out there. So that's the reasoning. And if you have a quarrel with that, well, you can talk to me off there and we'll, we'll discuss it. So, yeah, so starting today or very soon on Indiegogo, new fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi, coming soon. So please give, like I said in the supplemental, we're giving out copies of the book, signed copies. And, of course, if you want to donate $2,000 and completely cover the cost of the Indiegogo, then, as Paul has said, I will, you know, you will get a hard copy. And I will cite it in my own blood. I will preface this. I haven't prefaced it like this before. But I have done some research into this. And just so you know, blood doesn't really stick all that well to a signature like this. So I will have to mix it with some traditional ink and other chemicals to make sure it actually stays like a blood signature should stay. Okay. Just so you know these things. And will you be using a pen with the blood in it, or will you just be trying to write with your bloodied finger? I have I have uh, glass quills. Oh, there you so go. I will have a little glass container with the mixture in it, 
and I will dip in and write that way. Okay, there you go. That's probably more detail than any of you really wanted to know. I'm just glad that it's actually his blood and he's not sacrificing small children or anything like that. Well, I mean, there are lots of small children where I work, so I probably could find one, but I'm not that mean yet. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and Halloween is already passed, so I doubt you could get away with it now anyway. Yes. Well, Christmas is coming. True. And I do play a good Santa Claus. Oh, there you go. Anyway. All right. So now it's time to get to our guest. Now, Thomas P. Atheridge has spent the past, oh, what was it, nine years, Tom? Uh, well, technically, I began the project in late 2001. So it's been a total of 15 years from start of my research and writing till today. Okay. So it took about 15 years for this day to finally come. All right, so 15 years from when he started doing his research and his writing. Not, I mean, He had finished the book, what, seven years ago? Um, again, 2009, that's correct. Uh, I had copyrighted it in the Library of Congress. Uh, I'm an employee there working in the Acquisitions Division, uh, and I went to the fourth floor of the Madison Building, the same building that I work in, and copyrighted the material in 2009. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had been trying to get it published on my own without a literary agent thinking that that was plausible, uh, it did not turn out to be the case. I could have done the self-publishing route. I didn't do that because various costs, because you get to keep 100% of the profits, where if you sign with a major publishing company, they would keep anywhere from 80 to 90% of the profits. But the thing is you have to market it on your own. You have to print it on your own. Mm -hmm. You have to you know, go around and take time to sell it on your own and so on and so forth that I just didn't really have time to do based on my work schedule. So um, I, I actually have uh, – am I allowed to say the names of some of the companies that I contacted that I was unsuccessful with? Is that uh, – I mean, it's if you're comfortable with it. I mean, uh... I, mean I don't want to get anybody in, in legal trouble. I have some, some rejection letters in front of me, but I, didn't, I just sort of wanted to say I got rejected by everybody, but I could just sort of share some independent comp you know, companies that I contacted on my own, thinking that it was possible that okay. didn't... Well, before we get into that, well, let me just preface that. We have now signed Tom. He is now our 13th creative at AS21. We are now in the process of... We've begun editing on his book. As of this week, I, the manuscript has been sent to our editor-in-chief, who is said he will personally take it on to do the line editing review. So it's, as we stated before, with the types of editing, it goes the basic, most basic form is copy editing, where you're mainly looking at spelling, grammar, just very basic stuff. Line editing is really where you're starting to get the sentence structure a bit. And then there's developmental ed editing, where you're really trying to help form the, the story properly. I mean, where you actually have to maybe rewrite whole sentences or provide uh, advice on making the whole cohesive plot and everything work. So he is now starting a line editing review, and that's as of, actually, I believe it was Thursday night that he got that file, because uh, Tom, it's, uh, we had gotten the electronic file, and I had to add some additional information that you had added late, right, Tom? Yes, sir. And so now that is in the hands of our editor-in-chief. So, like you said, it's been a 15-year journey to this point. That is, I'm sorry to say, it, that's that's un extremely unfortunate, and it's really unfortunate that you had to take that long to get your 
your story to this point, Tom. Well, that's true. Um, it was kind of an educational process because I had never done this before. Uh, as, as I indicate in the beginning of my book, the reason I wrote the book at all was because of the September 11, 2001 attacks upon the United States. I felt that I had to do something to respond to this egregious act of terrorism that claims over almost 3,000 innocent lives of all nationalities, of all religions, of all uh, denominations and so forth. So I felt upon myself that I had to do something. So I, I, I sort of fell into this topic of, I, I tie it in in the first chapter, actually, of, uh, you know, I described my own personal experience. I was an employee at the Library of Congress at the time of September 11th, 2001, and I described detail, uh, detail by detail about the actual moments of the day as they happened from my point of view. Uh, then, of course, I tie it into the actual events that happened in New York, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And then I sort of explained, well, on the subway ride home that day, I said to myself, I knew this country was at war. I knew it. Everyone on the train knew it. It was a packed, silent train. And I said to myself, have we ever been through something this horrific before? And that's sort of where the idea came from. And I wanted to look back in history and sort of look at other events in American history. That's where I sort of drew the line of, of mm -hmm. my research. But I looked at in, any time in American history has anything this atrocious happened before. And it's interesting to find out that there is you know, many comparable historical instances of things like this that have happened before, whether you go to Lusitania and, you know, beginning World War One, this whole civil war itself could be an act of terrorism. I mean, that was, you know, a terrible, awful thing that imprisoning African Americans for slavery, but yet it took the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to end that. And, of course, the civil war, which cost over 400,000 fatalities, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's all this discovery that I found out, including Pearl Harbor, including the burning of Washington by the British in 1812, and uh, the Barbary Pirates, Islamic terrorism at sea, that I learned about from, uh, from my research from scholars at the Library of Congress. Actually, very comparable, which is interesting. Of course, that was, you know... 300 years ago, but it's interesting that how Islamic terrorism at sea was an issue, and it was President Jefferson, the one who wanted a limited government, the man who wanted a limit, limited you know, military response to things, was the first president to take us into war on foreign land. Mm -hmm. So it's those kind of you know, specifics in American history that I thought made a good story. So what I chose to do is I, I, the first chapter is about the 9-11 the attacks, uh, upon the United States, and uh, I also then from each subsequent chapter, I looked at every American war his war conflict in history, and I kind of gave it sort of a general history, and I tried to make compassion, you know, comparisons and contrastions about the similarities, the differences between each uh, episode, and I sort of concluded each chapter with, well, how did we improve as a nation? How did we improve as a political party? Did we go back? Did we? take a step back as far as relations with countries, with uh, our relations with the Constitution, with, you know, the overall objective of the war campaign and how, what, what kind of cost did we have. So it's kind of just, a, and then the final chapter is sort of where do we go from here, where I explore all the uh, five major religions of the world and sort of show that, you know, terrorism doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense for any of the five religions. They all reject it, but it's perversing those religions that any terrorist group going back to the Ku Klux Klan, going through Al-Qaeda, that they do to manipulate their followers to thinking that this is what, you know, the Koran says when it's a, it's a message of peace. 
it's a book of peace. If you read the book, which I have, I have an English translation of it, it's a holy book, just as the Torah is, just as the Bible is, just as the Bhagavad Gita is. And so it's just, it's ironic that, you know, people would die in the name of religion, in the name of God, when it actually says, you know, don't do these things, you know. So right. those, are the, those are the kind of the correlations I was trying to make throughout this book. And uh, sort of, and as you indicated, there was a part that I wanted, because I copyrighted this book in 2009, and I wanted to make sure that the Osama bin Laden portion of the story was properly, you know, concluded, which, you know, I added to you later. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of, you know, wanted to, and then the development of ISIS in Iraq, in Syria, and that's those type of things that we're dealing with now that sort of still stems from the war, even though the American involvement is coming to somewhat of an end, even though not completely, it's still kind of an unsettled situation that we're going to be dealing with for the foreseeable future. So that was kind of the idea of the whole thing. So each chapter sort of, you know, takes each individual war, each major war conflict in history. I left out some, you know, minor skirmishes just for, you know, research purposes. It was a lot to sort of digest. So I just individually um, divided it into chapters based on war conflicts, mm-hmm. which I did from the very beginning, from the American Revolution all the way to the War on Terror now. But it's the whole theme of the book centers around the September 11, 2001 attacks. So that, that was what I did with this particular project. Okay. All right. Thank you for that uh, expansive review of the new book. And, of course, we are, like I said, it's now in the editing process. Our goal is January 20th. The, the the inauguration day of the next president, who we will find out who that is, hopefully, the, <laughs> the day yes. after this podcast airs. So, I agree with that, Keith. Yeah. We'll find out one way or another. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll either find out who the president is, or we'll find out just how far someone can go without being elected to get themselves into that seat. All right. Now, let's just go kind of look at the timeline of this. So you finished, you, you got the idea, obviously, you started thinking about it the day of the attacks. Yes. And then yes. you did all the research, you did all the writing. And yes, it and typing. finally finished in 2009. Yes. And just to give you an idea, I think I was looking at it myself when I before I sent it off to Corey. So that's with... All of your notes, citations, acknowledgments, introduction, everything. Uh, it came out to 132,000 words. Nice. Yes. Yeah, it sure felt like it, I tell you. It was, it was a lot of research over. It was kind of took on a life of itself at the time of the research. But, I mean, I really think there's a correlation between each chapter to show you where we were, you know, in the beginning during the Revolutionary War, only white male, you know, landowners could vote, which clearly doesn't seem to represent the whole population, whereas, you know, we've taken a lot of improvements over time, yeah. but yet it took a civil war to get the African-American vote. It took the 19th Amendment to get women to vote. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, evolution over American history, and it took a lot of battling and a lot of, you know, fighting and death in some cases to get to the progress that we've made today. So I think that sort of is highlighted in the book, sort of the evolution of where we began and sort of where we are and sort of where do we go from here. Absolutely. So now let's kind of go through this timeline now. Uh, In 2009, you finished the book and you started shopping it around. Yes, I did. I did it independently, and uh, I had a couple options at that point. I could have gone literary agent. 
I chose not to. As I indicated in the beginning of the conversation, I, I contacted a lot of kind of smaller publication companies thinking that I had a shot. Like most, most of the information I got was from the book called Writing, Writer's Workshop. Mm-hmm. Are you guys from uh, right, yes. excuse me, Writer's Market? Oh, right, Writer's Market, uh, Marketplace or just Writer's Market? It's called Writer's Market. Okay. It's a, that was the book I really used most of the time to. I was looking for companies that specialized in uh, American history, political history, military history, right. pre- presidential history, because the book really is about the president in time. Like when I wrote the book, I was really focusing on President George W. Bush and his reaction to what he dealt with. It does cover Obama a little bit towards the end, mm-hmm. but it was kind of the president in power during the war crisis that I each individually investigated, so to speak. Right. And uh, so it was it was a lot of, you know, evolution with how everything went down and over time and it was it was a good good educational process for me, but I think it tells the story of sort of where we are. You know, have we been through something as bad as September 11th before? The answer is yes. Of course, September 11th in itself was an attack on civilians, so that was kind of new. But we've seen since then the attacks in Paris, the attacks in London, the attacks in, you know, that we've seen all over the world under this terror group that, you know, we're all at stake here, you mm-hmm. know. And we've almost in some ways become the new soldiers on the battlefront. Right. So the, the the tactics of theater warfare have changed in and of themselves over time. So I just sort of wanted to point all that out and sort of, you know, and like I say, the, the book itself was written. It says, this book is dedicated to the memory of those who lost their lives and their loved ones during the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks upon the United States. We will always grieve the gross injustice of their loss with you and stand by you as we try to recover from this devastation. This book is also dedicated to the United States Armed Forces throughout all of American history, including present military campaigns, some of whom gave their very lives to create the freedom and prosperity that we enjoy today. Finally, I dedicate this book to all American presidents, past and present, whom this nation entrusted to protect us from the evil entities around the globe that had our way of life and the roles they have played not only with Congress but also with, the, with American history. Okay. Because you have to remember, according to the Constitution, the president is the commander of the armies and the navies. Right. But in order to declare war, you have to pass it through Congress. So right. there, there's a lot of that kind of investigated as well. Certainly the roles with foreign leaders are investigated, you know, with each particular wartime presidency. You know, how did they get along with their foreign contemporaries? A lot of them did which to to their success, and a lot of them, you know, maybe not to the detriment of the military campaigns, things like that. So, I mean, a lot of that is explored in the book. It kind of covers a broader range of American history, but I think at the same time it, it tells a cohesive story that ties them together through the September 11, 2001 narrative, I think. Hmm. All right. Now, as I've discussed in the past, typically most, most traditional publishers will only work through literary agents, and you decide not to go that route. I know I had researched myself a little bit and chose not to go that way either. Yes, I, I just what they were asking and the you know the business part of it, I just you know wasn't really comfortable with. So from the get go, I just decided to go just do it on my own, the university press route, sort of the small publishing company route. Like I didn't touch you know Penguin or Simon Schuster or Houghton Mifflin or anything like that because they wouldn't even look at it without a literary agent. Absolutely, but, yeah. You know, so like those type of companies, you know, obviously as much as I would love to be published with them, that wasn't realistic. So. I looked at sort of the smaller publishing companies, sort of including Stackpole, Howard University Press here in Washington, D.C., Fordham University Press, 
Alabama State University Press, Texas A&M University Press. So I kind of went those routes because those are the New York University Press. And uh, so I'm thinking that, you know, I could qualify based on what they put in their advertisements that they would look at. But a lot of them actually had, they only would publish, say, six books a year, 24 books a year. In a lot of cases, they only published a certain amount. So you sort of had to get on their docket in order to be published, you know, that they had to approve, and it only goes out to a certain amount of authors. So unfortunately, it didn't work out for me in any of them, and I applied to, you know, probably over 50 would be my estimate, and uh, I didn't get any of them to (laughs) publish me. So I kind of ran into a brick wall at that point. So, um, but, you know, thank thank God I, you know, found, you know, AS21 Publishing that, uh, you know, was willing to, go with this project so but i really poured my life into this writing this book and i really kind of you know wanted it to tell a you know contemporary story even though it's about past issues you know this is it has vital you know meaning today right even though we're reading about you know history a long time ago when things were really bad in a lot of cases you know and, and we're very grateful that you came to us because I, I know that uh, we're both uh, your your friends as i am with phil sipkov one of our or one of the first authors to sign with us and he had been on you for a while to work with us, and we finally made the timing work. This yes, yes, recently. absolutely. And uh, and now, of course, just for to make it clear that you did have another option as well that I had you explore. You had explored originally, and I had you explore again before we signed our deal. As a Library of Congress employee, you also had the opportunity to talk with an additional press that others would not have that same opportunity, and that was with the Library of Congress Publishing Office. That's correct, and I did speak with, um, I'm blanking on her name at the moment, uh, I have uh, The current director is Becky Brazenton-Clark. That's right, Becky Clark, that's right, forgive me for that. Yeah, she, uh, forget, she just took over that. in March as the new publisher for the Library of Congress. Yes, and I had, I had a very nice meeting with Becky Clark, and she was very nice and complimentary. I showed her the manuscript that I have, and she was very, very nice about it, but she uh, unfortunately said this would not work for the publishing office because it didn't meet the criteria what they were specifically looking for mm-hmm. with what they published. But I had a very nice conversation with her. She was very, very nice about everything, and if everything works out with a- AOIS 21 Publishing, I'll be happy to give her a copy. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, you know, autographs, of course, and, uh, you know. so. But she was very, very nice and very helpful and we had a very nice discussion uh, when I met with her that day. Yeah. Well, as a as a library employee and the fact that the bulk of your research was done at the library, That's true. it seemed to me that it was a no-brainer, but obviously I'm not... At the time, I had a, I was working with them on a special project, so I had knew them, but it's all in the timing and what they're looking for. So obviously it didn't work out, but it worked out to our favor because we get to bring this story to life now. Absolutely, and I appreciate that very much, Keith. I'm really, really happy to assign with your company, and uh, you. you know, I'm, I'm excited that the readers get to read what I wrote, and I think that they'll find something meaningful and patriotic about it because I stayed bipartisan throughout the whole book. So, you know, how can anyone criticize the Republicans when we had Abraham Lincoln and you right. know, Dwight Eisenhower? How can anyone, Demo- you know, criticize the Democrats when we had Franklin Roosevelt and you know right. John Kennedy and you know? So, I mean, it, I tried to stay as bipartisan as I possibly could throughout the whole manuscript, and I think I've done so. Okay. Now, I know it's it's been seven years, but you didn't spend the entire seven years focused on publishing. How, how long would you say you actually really were really focused on it until you kind of gave up? 
Um, probably around, I guess, probably the second Obama election, probably around 2012. Okay, so Because I had sent out a number of, you know, book proposals. They want the, you know, table of contents, a query letter, sample chapter, bibliography, so on and so forth. I probably did that till somewhere around 2012 or so. And, uh, you know, I was telling you at the Library of Congress that, you know, I got so many rejection letters, Keith, I could have wallpapered my entire apartment, you know. And that's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, with someone with who's never been published before, just an employee at the Library of Congress, I like to think I'm a good employee at the Library of Congress, but at the same time, you know, those were my credentials, and that was it. it was, I was just a guy saying, I want to write a book about American history, and I want to get published. And I did it all and completely on my own. So, you know, it was definitely a learning curve as far as, you know, what was realistic, what wasn't, you know. But yet, you know, people who... You know, I've never written books for the first time, like, say, a Keith Richards, you know, writes a number one bestseller. And it's yeah. a great book, by the way, you know. And it just, it just goes to show you that if you put the passion to the paper, you got a good story there and a marketable book to sell to the, to the public, you know, whatever the subject may happen to be. I use Keith as an example, Keith Richards, you know, yes. of the Stones, because, of you know, he may not have gotten far education-wise, but, you know, you know experience-wise in life, he, you know, had an incredible vision and, you know, view of, right. you know, pop culture, music, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, anyone, you know, I feel if they have the, you know, the passion to write and the dedication to do it and get it done, I feel they should have an avenue to get published in some form or another. So, yeah. and I'm very thankful to your company for agreeing to do this. Well, as I said, as I've said in my conversations with you, as I said after I had read through your manuscript, uh, no, I didn't. I must say, I must preface that I did not read the whole thing. I did. It is one hundred thirty-two thousand words, and uh, well, five hundred. Yeah, about five hundred pages, double space. So it was right. I I got. I read. As far as I'm concerned, there are a couple tests you have to take. And when you're a publisher, when you're reading through something, you're trying to make a decision. You you look at what the book is about. You're looking at the story, and you do have to read through it because you got to make sure that the story is told in a good way. And I was absolutely sold by your book. And as I said to you when I was reviewing it, it passed one of the uh, industry standard tests, the page ninety nine test, that I thought was right. absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, well, thank uh, you page 99 of the double space copy just it was talking about was it admiral farragut or was it uh actually i got it open right now it's a, it was the war of 1812 oh right so, but of course which is you know a good war to go back and compare because i mean and it's one Washington that is unfortunately not well covered in our history books so. exactly exactly i mean you know the entire city of washington including the capitol and white house we're burned to the ground yeah. by one of our greatest allies in the world now, Great Britain. You know, it just goes to show you, you know, at one time that was one of our greatest adversaries on earth who literally flattened the White House and the Capitol mm -hmm. during wartime. But yet, you know, we, so it's sort of a comparison to the September 11, 2001 attacks, you know, attack on the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, you know, that the British themselves did. You know, but now they're one of our greatest allies in, you know, global war on terrorism. You know, World War Two, of course, World War One. you know, one of our greatest, you know, people that we've always, you know, relied on, including the very controversial, you know, Iraq War. The only Absolutely. prime minister that would agree to go to war with George W. Bush was Tony Blair, which cost him politically at home back in England. So, yep. it, but yet the, the, you know, the 
the evolution of, over time, you know, England was one of our greatest allies, one of our greatest friends, but at one time they were the ones who burned Washington to the ground. So, I mean, these, these, I was just trying to sort of point those points out in American history in the past, sort of where, how did they at the time fix the situation that they were in? How did they rebuild? How did they improve? How did they prevent that from happening another time? That was kind of the idea of the book when I wrote it. Right. So, and, you know, each chapter over time was sort of covered in, you know, in each time frame that it was in, whether it was the Barbary Pirates, whether it was, Native, you know, Native American War chapter. Right. And that was kind of the point of the book. And But yet each chapter sort of focused on was it a similar similar situation to September 11, 2001? What did the war accomplish? You know, how did the president in power and time handle the conflict? You know, their foreign adversaries, their foreign allies, what improved, what didn't? You know, and certainly in the case of the Barbary Pirates, you created the United States Marine Corps. I think that's a pretty, you know, positive thing for the United States. Absolutely. So, I mean, like, that, that's what I mean, things like that even though it became from acts of terror or acts of warfare, what was the end result? So that's kind of what the book focuses on. And, uh, you know, did we improve? Did we take a step back? Certainly Vietnam is a long chapter. And, uh, you know, there were, that was a controversial war in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, it, like I say, the book itself kind of covers a lot of history, but it goes throughout the whole 200, I believe, was it 30-some years of history that, you know, that look in some cases there were not a lot of comparisons that were applicable to the current war on terror, but in some cases there were very much a lot of similarities. So, you know, again I focused on the five major religions. I didn't go anything, you know, because there's a lot of religions on planet Earth, so I just not I just sort of focus on the main five Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism and Hinduism. So I just sort of gave that summary of obviously they don't encourage terrorism or destruction or death of any kind. And it's those who misinterpret the message of the ones who are wrong. Who, you know, for those who kill in the name of Islam, they've clearly never read the Quran, because it says don't do that. You know, like that's those are the type of ironies that I try to bring to the reader, that those who are, you know, Muslim are are of a religion of peace. You know, and that's clear, and they've proven that. Same with Judaism, same with Christianity, same with you know Hinduism, Buddhism. So I mean, those are the you know I was trying to tie it into the end in the final chapter. So. Right. And that's kind of where the story goes. But there's kind of a large wealth of material in this story, so the reader should be prepared. There's going to be a great deal of historical facts thrown at them throughout a 230-year history. But, again, the story is tied around the September 11, 2001 attacks, because that was the reason I wrote the book at all. Right. All right, so now I'm not going to, for the sake of our listeners, uh, everyone has sort of heard my story of what I went through with trying to find a publisher in the first place. Now, Paul has been fortunate. He's the most fortunate of the three of us here. <laughs> because I, he... I have the re- easiest story there is. Yeah, he really had a publisher before he had a book, had a yeah. story. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, again, we're going to have to give credit where credit is due to David Silverman on this one. Yes. You know, Another shout out to Dave. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Dave. You know, again, for those of you who are listening who don't remember or haven't heard it, my buddy from high school, David, you know, contacts me out of the blue. I haven't spoken to this guy in over a year or two. Says, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How you doing? It's like, hey, are you still writing? Yeah, why? I got a friend to introduce to you. Okay, who's this friend? Well, he's a you know he's a really high end person at this you know 
publishing house. Okay, sure, I'll talk to him. By the way, your 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 level of New Jersey is hitting peak here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's been a long Jersey weekend. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So yeah, so oh, it sounds like yeah. I know a guy, and he, he he may be able to you know set you up or something. <laughs> I know those type of people too. So <laughs> I know many different types of guys. Yeah, knowing that you didn't have to deal with. The hassle that you have an idea with hassle I did and the yeah. hassle that Tom has done. So uh, pretty much, really, any questions you might have, Paul, of Tom. Right. Yeah, I guess, like, the, the question that I always hear asked to someone, you know, when they either have struck it big or they finally got that first book deal, you know, it, this is a question that I don't get to answer yet. But what was it like? when you got that first rejection letter? Because I mean, you um, said you've got enough of them to, that you could have you know, done your entire apartment in rejection layers if you had wanted to. So, I mean, I, get, I don't know. Like, what was it like when you got that first one? And when, you know, did, was there ever a point when, when they were coming in that they kind of stopped you know, having a negative connotation for you? That's a good question, Paul, because in the beginning, I sort of expected them to reject me, and I sent out kind of a bunch at once. And so once they first started coming in and their rejections, I was kind of expecting that to be the case. Again, I, I have no writing cred- you know, credentials to speak of. I'm an employee at the Library of Congress. I've been there for 18 years. But at the same time, as far as being published or writing anything, I had never done it before. So in the beginning, I kind of expected it. You know, if I didn't, you know, I mean, of course, it would have been great if someone had signed me. There was one company that offered to sign me, but it was kind of a Vantage Press uh, situation. I I assume your your listeners know what that means, where you kind of pay to publish a book on your own and sort of cover the cost and so forth. Right. And uh, so one company contacted me and said that they would agree to publish it. I didn't go with them just because, you know, I'd done some research, and that's what I discovered. So... You know, over time, I thought somebody would agree to it, and I just sort of tried to keep a positive outlook over it. But once we got to about 2012 and so on, and maybe even after, it just sort of seemed that, you know, I had struck out with everyone that I had, you know, tried to contact. And I tried to contact a lot of publishers. Some didn't even respond at all, Mm. which I I don't know how unusual that is in the, the publishing world, but whether the companies went out of business or whether they just sort of, you know, didn't want to... You know, obviously they didn't want to publish it, but they didn't. Some companies didn't respond at all. So, but most of them did. And uh, you know, most of them, like uh, I'll read one that's in front of me. Dear Mr. Atherton, thank you very much for sending your manuscript, American Presidents at War. It looks interesting, but it's not quite right for us. We hope you have luck elsewhere. So, I mean, that was essentially what the letters would say. Some were more apologetic in uh, in terms of we really had a tough time with this decision. Our our staff really wanted to go with this, but the ultimate authority said no. So some letters were sort of more embellished on, well, we wanted to do it, but, you know, circumstances dictated where we couldn't do it. And then others, like the one I just read you, were like, you know, thank you, Mr. Athens, no thank you, you know, in so many right. words. So, But it was a very um, frustrating process, you know. I, I really thought the story would sell on its own. I tried to keep it bipartisan. I'm not looking for a Democratic or Republican or independent audience. I was just trying to, for anyone interested in American politics, that was kind of the genre I was trying to 
go for and attract and um, ironically that may have been that may have actually hurt you if you probably would have gone partisan maybe you would have found somebody earlier it's hard to say that that is possible so i but i the whole point of the book was to stay bipartisan to examine you know administrations of both political parties you know whether it was you know Amer- you know democrat republican bull moose in the case of teddy roosevelt mm-hmm. the federalists you know the do nothings you know whatever it was I felt that I wanted to sort of investigate, you know, it was, it was, you know, investigate just the administration themselves, not necessarily the political party. And I sort of just judge it on the historical fact as opposed to, you know, what political preference I may or may not have. I just sort of tried to analyze the situation and make comparisons and contrastions of their military campaign, you know, while their president's in office to the military campaign. Technically, we're still in now began by George W. Bush, even though Barack Obama has, you know, scaled down the, the situation in Afghanistan and Iraq, technically we still have military advisors and soldiers there and fatalities there, by the way. So mm-hmm. I was just trying to sort of just make comparisons and contrastions. September 11th was unique in its horrors, unique in the fact that it went after civilians, when, you know, that type of thing. Okay, Paul, is there anything else? I mean, realistically, that's like the main question that I think, I see, my two questions are always the favorites to ask when it comes to people right. talking to any author or want any anyone who wants to be an author has become an author has been an author. That's always the one question that you see people ask. I know that people still ask that question of you know Martin. They still ask it of Stephen King. Everyone always comments on that question for Rowling, you know and. How they again? They always make fun of those twelve publishers mm-hmm. who were the ones who said, "No, we're good." Yeah, and it's like yeah. how much money did they lose? You know, and they, you know, who got fired when that all went bananas? So yeah, that's the key thing to remember. Even the best authors got rejected, mm-hmm. and it's all what they did next that really made the difference. So. Right. Uh, if I could add one point, the Beatles were rejected by every record label in England, right. saying that rock and roll was on its way out. You know? <laughs> so I mean, that's that just goes to show you what people think, and you know, and yet the Beatles are the most successful rock and roll act in history. Yep. Absolutely. So I mean, it just goes to show you that the, the haters will say anything, but yet factually they're incorrect. Right. And that once the word gets out, and once the story is told, I think it takes on a life of itself. But yeah, I, I, I totally, completely understand that, you know, it does seem like a dead end. And it does seem like, since I'd never done this before, that was kind of the real difficulties that I was dealing with personally, was, you know, getting this to actual publication. And every route that I'd gone on on my own had been unsuccessful until I met Keith. You know, but I'm excited that this is, you know, finally taken a successful conclusion. And This is true. I mean, there's rejection everywhere. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. But, uh, but like I said, to me it was kind of an educational process, having never done this before. But you know, I'm happy that fate, you know, directed me in the, you know, in the direction of you, Keith AOIS21 Publishing, and I'm really excited to get this published for the the reader to read and make their own conclusion as to my thesis. And I think there's a story there to be told. So Absolutely. I'm really excited about this great opportunity. I thank you know AOIS21 Publishing as much as I can for this great great opportunity. Oh, and thank you for coming to us, Tom. This is, I mean, I, you and I have been talking off and on for a long time about this. In fact, 
and we've signed you, but we had said a few months ago that we were no longer signing new authors, but we had already been talking. So as far as I'm concerned, there was you and there were a couple others that we were already in negotiations on, as it were. So I, it's, you're kind of grandfathered in on our no new author deal. <laughs> and thankful to be grandfathered in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, this was a story that I felt that we needed to be part of. It was, and yes, it's a need that we had our catalog. We had nothing really nonfiction, history-wise, that would really work well other than uh, uh, Phil's second book. So it was just kind of the kind of story I was looking to have, plus the kind of situation that pretty much I started this company because of. I I was myself a disappointed author, and I went the self-publishing route. I went ahead and did it myself because I, at the time, I had the time. I had the wherewithal to make it happen, and now we have AS21 because of it. So and not and it's just going to show that that there are people that self publishing is not an option. It is they don't have the time, they don't have the ability, and it tends to be well. If you look around, if you look at some of the people who self published, even Phil when he self published, he was you know a college kid when he self published his first book. So it tends to be the younger uh, younger of us that uh, are willing to take that leap and try to do it themselves. So. Not, not that I'm calling you old, Tom. But yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I know what Phil's gone through with his books, and I'm very, you know, proud of him for his accomplishments. And uh, just, just to add one point to what you were saying, because a lot of times when you self-publish, remember you got to give out like a couple hundred copies for free. Oh yeah, just yeah. so people will read it. Yeah. So I mean, there, there's a there's a bigger cost involved than it sounds, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, you pay for the printing and you know the copies and going to book fairs and so on and so forth. But remember, you've got to get that book out there for the consumer to read, right. and for that, that's you know going to require handing out at least a couple hundred copies for free. Yeah, if you if you find my book at a library, it's because I sent it to that library for free. Right. They didn't buy it from me. If and if you see it on the shelf of a bookstore like you can at some of the bookstores around D.C. or in some up in Pennsylvania, it's because I sent them a copy put on the shelf, not because they bought it for me wholesale or whatever to sell it. It's there on consignment, most likely, usually, for them to pay me back once the purchase has been made. Right. And that's when you're a self-publisher, to try to work within that group is really quite nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to get it with a big bookstore. Well... Not that there are many big bookstores left, of course. But that's true. That's true. They've there are, there are two. There's Barnes and Nobles and there's Amazon. Those yeah. are big stores. true. Now that Amazon is up to what three stores now and rising. Yeah. <laughs> and well, if you forget Trover Books by where uh, oh, I, I miss work Trover on Books. Capitol Hill, you know that's gone out of business. There's what Sweet Green now. So yeah, well, it's it was two locations. It was the side by side books Trover Books, and they're both gone now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least we still have Riverby Books on East Capitol Street. It just reopened a few months back. So, All right, so I think we covered everything I want to talk about. Is there anything, any advice, Tom? You've gone through all this hassle. It took you seven years, but you finally are signed. Of course, some of it was just, you know, us trying to finally getting the right timing in. Absolutely. And, and some editing over that time, but that's yeah. okay. We're good. What is the number one piece of advice you would give somebody that is starting out that may have either be in the writing process or has finished writing the book? What's the number one piece of advice you would give them? Never give up. 
You know, just never give up. Always believe in the product that you're creating and uh, the worth of it, you know, that someone will see the value in it, whether it's AOIS 21 Publishing, whether it's, you know, Penguin, Simon & Schuster, whatever it is, I mean, or even the smaller, you know, much smaller label companies, someone will see the value in it. And, you know, your story is there to be told, and the whole world is waiting to hear it. So you don't ever give up, you know, as far as whatever your path, whatever you're writing, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, you know, just always stick with your, you know, write the best product that you can and never give up because you'll meet the right person someday. And thanks to you, Keith, I did. <laughs> so I'm very thankful to you and your company and uh, to Paul for being part of this podcast. And, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Right. And that's, you know, if for anyone who's creative, whether it's in music, whether it's in arts, whether it's in history, whether it's in, you know, television or radio, broadcasting, iPod, whatever the situation may be, you know, the, the world is always looking for a new source of information. So... Right. You know, just stay on top of what you're doing. Never give up, and the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom, and uh, we'll, we'll see you at work this week. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate very much being on your show. Oh, thank you for joining us. All right. So that wraps up this episode of the Publish Me Podcast. This is Chapter 20 of the November 2016 edition, Navigating the Publishing Industry. We want to thank Thomas P. Atheridge, the 13th AS21 creative, for joining us today to talk about his own story and his upcoming book, American Presidents at War. Get it in 2017. We'll be doing it in ebook, paperback, and hardcover coming out in 2017. And a quick reminder that this episode is sponsored by the Indiegogo campaign for the Will of the Magi. Check it out, Indiegogo.com. It'll be going up soon. We'll try and raise $1,600 to help bring the Will of the Magi to bookstores near you. So check that out. We'll do our best to make Paul's dream a reality, and then he'll be able to hold his own book in his own hands. Absolutely. I will be a happy boy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so for next month, we'll be back, and we'll be having, hopefully, uh, as of right now, I'm going to try to set it up that we could have our announcement of our cover design and have on the guest the designer that Paul has chosen. And But in addition, we're going to have a cadre of guests, hopefully. We're going to try to have some of Paul's beta readers joining us to share their first impressions of the World of the Magi. Uh, have you been able to... Do you have any in, in mind already that you think are going to be able to come on, or have you talked to anyone yet? I have a few people in mind. I mean, again, I, I have a large pool of beta readers to choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously... For those of you beta readers who are listening to this, I obviously cannot choose all of you. I'm only going to be choosing one or two of you. Right. So those of you who I don't choose, I'm sorry. I still love you. Well, the thing is, if you're a beta reader and you're not chosen, then email publishpodcast at as21.com. Or you can tweet to us at publishpodcast or find us facebook.com slash publishpodcast. And you can share your own thoughts right there and... Maybe not next episode, but an episode in the future, we will share them, or at least we'll be able to do a blast on it on, otherwise online. Or who knows, we might do a supplemental episode where it's just feedback from beta readers. And we don't have to keep it beholden to this, the 7th of each month releasing an episode, especially with the crowdfunding campaign, having beta readers give feedback. We're going to need that. We're going to need those testimonials to go up on the Indiegogo page. We want to do a supplemental that we could tack on to the Indiegogo to help get attention 
so we can reach your goal of $1,600 to help make this book reality. So I hate to sound like we're into PBS fundraising level right now, but really we are. Yeah, we are. So with your contribution, good people, we can make this book a reality. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So thank you very much from AS21. Of course, check out all the other great podcasts on the AS21 Podcast Network, including a new monthly show, which will be launching this coming Saturday. So once again, for AS21, I'm Keith Shovlin. And as always, I am Paul Dickinson Russell, the author of Will of Magi. Remember, everybody, where there are thoughts and ideas, there are stories. We'll see you next month. Copyright 2016, AS21 Publishing, LLC, all rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. What do you want your book to be?